Good morning. morning. I always feel warm and fuzzy when Mark says I sound wonderful. (laughs) We're going to be in Genesis um, chapter 30. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 30. I I knew so many of you were going to show up today, so I handpicked this particular text. Okay, so if you are visiting, in no way did I handpick this particular text. The Lord handpicked this particular text, and I always find it fascinating when we're working through a book of the Bible, preaching through a book of the Bible, when one particular passage lands on a particular Sunday, and just to see what the Lord has for us in that. It's one of the thrills for me as a preacher is to see what our Lord is doing um, in our midst. Uh, I'm preaching through the book of Genesis, and this is the text that I'm landing on. The reason I share that is so many visitors this morning, number one, you might be thinking, why did he pick that text? I didn't. Number two, perhaps this speaks directly to you this morning. That's not by the doing of any elder, any preacher, any local church. That's the Spirit of God at work. And so I just encourage you to track with me because it's one of those passages that most likely a preacher would skip if he's selecting what he's going to preach. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity once again to open your word. Help me not to mess it up. Help me not to be a stumbling block or to get in the way. But I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be attached to your word and affect your people. Father, if nobody or if somebody here this morning doesn't know you, has not surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Master and the one now who runs their life. Father, I pray that you would do that work in their heart. Lord, we, are, we, are, we were never designed to be the master of our own life. We were designed to worship and follow another far greater, far, far greater than ourselves. So I pray, Father God, that... Um, You'd use your word now uh, for your namesake and, Father, for the joy of your people and for the benefit of your people. Every bit of your word is inspired and errant and given, Father God, to produce good works and to produce Christ-likeness in us. And there's no difference in this passage in reference to that. So bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. This certainly isn't how I expected life to end up. You ever heard anybody say that? As they're in the midst of a set of circumstances that just seem to be over the top or they're just stressed or discouraged or irritated, things didn't turn out the way it was planned, this is not how I saw my life going. I have no doubt in my mind that at some point Jacob said that, perhaps at this point is saying that, with how things have turned out. Remember, Jacob has swindled his dad, got the blessing. His mother sent him to her brother, Uncle Laban. He goes to Uncle Laban, falls head over heels for Rachel, says, I'll work seven years. Laban tricks him. He ends up marrying Leah, and then for another seven years works to get Rachel, has these two wives, and as we saw last week, multitudes of children from these two wives as well as their two handmaids. It's a mixed issue, everything going on in this guy's life. There's, there's mistakes, there's obedience, there's, it's a very gray um, 
life, if you will, in that sense. I don't think everything Jacob has done thus far is righteous, and I don't think everything Jacob has done thus far is evil. Much like yourself and much like myself. But there's this overarching promise over it all that I want to draw your attention to before we jump into this particular text in chapter 28. So Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. Twenty-eight, fourteen says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So now go to chapter 30, verse 25, which is where we're going to pick up today. This overarching promise that has been made to Jacob, I will be with you. I will be blessing you, and I will bring you through it, and I'm in all of this until the end. But there's some fine print in there as well, is there not? Much like our promise that we would go to in Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good for those who love God and called according to His purpose. And yet, have you ever suffered? You ever been in pain? You ever been discouraged? Ever gone, what's going on, God? Well, much like the promise made here to Jacob, that promise is made to us, but in those details, there can be consequences of our sin, difficulties of the the reality that we live in a fallen world, sickness, you, you fill in the blank with all that stuff. See, it doesn't mean that everything in Jacob's life is going to be rosy and soft and comfortable. What it does mean is God's glorious promise to him will stand, and no man can thwart God's promise. Nobody can throw God off his game in what he's going to do in Jacob. But here's what I want you to catch. Last week and the weeks before, and particularly this week, is I want you to notice what God is doing through Jacob, but even more importantly, what he's doing in Jacob. See, much like Abraham, much like Isaac, Jacob is a man that God is at work in. That's what I meant when I said gray or mixed. He's not a perfect man, but he's not an evil man. He's a man that believes in the Lord. He's a man that God has made a promise to, and he's a man that the Lord is maturing, a man that God is growing, a man that God's working with. And so as we walk through this text this morning, I want you to see Jacob's prosperity and the means by which all this takes place. Verse 25 of chapter 30. Jacob and Laban negotiate. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. 
So the desire in Jacob's heart is to go back to his country. Remember, he fled from his country after swindling his brother or swindling his father and stealing his, his brother's blessing. His brother threatened to kill him, so his mother said, send him away. Let him go find a wife. Well, he found some. <laughs> and now he's on his way back. He wants to return back to his homeland. He wants to go back to see his mother. He wants to go back to see his father. He wants to go back to that home country. Not only that, it's not necessarily that he wants to go somewhere, but he also wants to leave somewhere. He's had enough of dear Uncle Laban. This man has been a thorn in his side, and yet he has faithfully served him. Now, this is where I want us to be careful, beloved, is that I've, I've, in reading commentaries, I've read some commentators that, that really paint a very bad picture of Jacob, and I've read commentators that paint way too, I think, of a pretty picture of Jacob. I think it's in the middle because he's human. But give the man some credit. All this time, he has been laboring, working hard for Laban, seeking to care for his wives and for his children. And now he's saying, I'd like to go. I'd like to depart. You notice the language is not very um, uh, soft. Send me away. Let me go. Um, I don't want to read too much into that, but I think the, the concept is very simply that he is not in a really lovey-dovey relationship with Uncle Laban. But after the birth of Joseph, he decides, it's time for me to go. Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. And listen to what he asks for. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. He doesn't ask for flocks, he doesn't ask for riches, doesn't ask for wealth. He doesn't hold anything over the head of Laban except for simply, I want my family. Let me take my family and go back to my family. That's why I came in the first place, was to find a family and then take them back to my family. So, let me depart. And Laban counterpunches smoothly. He counterpunches smoothly. Listen to his response. But Laban said to him, if I've found favor in your sight, stop right there. Found favor in your sight? Serious? In your, in your lying, in your deception, in your trickery, and you, you keep extending the fine print of our, of our deal that we have made? If I've found favor in your sight, of course he hasn't found favor in his sight. So what's with the language here? Why is he saying that? Well, it's kind of a calm way or a... a um, a manipulative way of softly negotiating with a counterpunch. It's kind of like if after you've truly offended somebody, you come up to them and say, if I've offended you, I'm sorry. It's smooth. It's a way of coming to somebody and, and trying to say, if I've found favor in your sight, then do this for me. He's flattering him. When I was a little kid, my brothers would um, have money, and I didn't. And um, what I would do is I would say, you're my favorite brother. <clears throat> and I would really like a Coke, dear brother. <laughs> to which they said, nada. But there's a manipulative tactic here, and listen to what else he has to say. He says, if I found favor in your sight... I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Stop there for a second. 
This is a little bit tricky because it could be translated a couple different ways. Um, one translation, I believe the King James translation and the New King James translation say um, by experience or something along those lines instead of divination. Um, the, the, the word is tricky because it, it could go either way. Either he learned by experience seeing God's blessing continually through Jacob or it really was he went to see some sort of a sorcerer or something of that nature seeking to find out where this blessing is coming from. Um, I'm not really too concerned because the issue is not necessarily how he came to the conclusion, but that he came to that conclusion. And obviously is the true conclusion. God revealed that to Laban in, his, in, in God's divine providence, made that clear to him. I think by experience makes a lot of sense to me because all it took was some time to go, you know, everything this kid does is blessed. He's the golden goose. So I don't want you to go away. Everything you do has been a blessing to me. So if I found favor in your sight and there's been tremendous blessing in my life because of your presence here, here's my terms. Name your wages, and I will give it. We've heard that before from this man, if you recall. When he asked him about what he could be paying him, he said, you name your wages, which is another beautiful tactic to try to negotiate. Remember, you go and look at that car, and you say, how about this much? And then the other person comes back, how about this much? No, this much, and eventually you reach a deal. Well, here he comes and he says, name your wages, now, at that point, I would think that at some point in this discussion, Jacob is going to be like, um, didn't we already do this? And you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel that lied. Remember that? But nonetheless, he says, name your wages and I will give it. Now, listen to Jacob's response. I, again, there's a maturing process and some things changing in this man. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And please notice who he's giving credit to. The Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? Do you hear Jacob's? He's recognizing this, guys. He's growing. He's changing. The Lord did that. The Lord gave a blessing to you, Laban, through me. Now, he's not saying, I blessed you. He does point to his effort. He does point to his work. But he's never pointing to the actual results done by him. That was God's doing. There's a, there's a huge theological point there that I want to just touch on, and I'll touch on further at the end of this message, that the blessing is God's. The gift is God's. The the abundance is God's. And he chose to give that to Jacob and Laban by association to God's man has been receiving this blessing as well. I think you could make a pretty easy argument and discussion point that where Christians are, there's typically blessing in that group. If you look historically at the beginnings of hospitals and many different charities, and many different things that have helped many different people throughout the history of this world, you will usually find Christians somewhere integrated in that. There is blessings that flow from God's people to this world. 
And so Laban has received a blessing from being with Jacob, and he's recognized it to the point that he says, name your wages, because if I lose you, I lose. But do you hear Jacob's thought? When will I provide for my own family? Because at this point, he's a hired hand for Laban. He has family, all kinds of kids. And he's asking, at what point, Laban, do I become the man of my own home? When do I become the provider of my family? When do I step up and take that role of dad? Rather than, I hope Uncle Laban pays us this year, when do I take that place for my own family? Which I think is a great argument, especially because he's really, really old already. But listen to what Laban has in response to this. He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. Please notice, as Laban says, what shall I give you again? The guy is so smooth. Give. He's been working so hard for this man. He's been working hard for his family. Now he's simply asking, let me go and I'll go start my own life with my family and provide for them. And Laban doesn't want to let go of this negotiation, so he says, what what can I give you? And I believe a good way to read this is Jacob saying, you will not give me anything, rather, these are the wages that I would like to see for the work that I'm going to do. But as far as giving Laban, that's a joke. And so what he calls for, what he proposes to Laban is, let me go to your herds and these flocks and let me take those that are spotted and speckled and have differing colorations among them, cull them and make them mine. And that will be my wages so I can start my own flock. I can start my own farm with what I've taken out of there. That's what I want. Now, this was more uncommon, seeing the, the, the uh, goats and the lambs that were of these differing colors. This was a very, much more uncommon than just the pure colored goats and whatnot at that time. Jacob in no way is trying to swindle him by what he does here. If he was, I think Laban would have been keen to it super quick. Rather, what Jacob is proposing is, give me the short end of the stick. And I'll take the short end of the stick... That will be my wages, and then I can begin providing for my own family. What do you think? Now, I would love to have seen Laban's face as he pondered this. Because this guy's shrewd. He's thoughtful. Not that kind of thoughtful, but the other kind of thoughtful. And as he thought it over, apparently this proposal from Jacob was so rich, he, his lustful intent and desire He couldn't surpass it. He couldn't get over this proposal. Look down at your Bible. Verse 33, really quick before we get to Laban's response. So this is very interesting. And the wording is tricky in in most of the translations, but the idea is very simple. He says, So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. What he's saying is my integrity will show itself. My honesty will prove itself. 
Once I've culled those out and I've made them my flock and, and I'm taking care of them, Laban, you'll find out I'm an honest man. My honesty will prove itself out. Is there a way that he could put a guarantee on that? Yes. Uh, There we go. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and the black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. So this is what, this is a real tell of a man's integrity. Not when somebody tells you they're a man or a woman of integrity, that's potentially really good. But when they tell you they're a man or woman of integrity, along with a catch that shows, if I'm not, it will be seen, that's pretty fair as well. And so what Jacob says is, I am a man of integrity. This is my proposal. This is what I'll do. And Laban, to prove it, if you find any of those that are not mine among my flocks, they'll be good as stolen or considered as stolen, which means he's saying, I'm prepared to take the penalty of being a thief. Let that be on me if you find anything there. So you find me cheating you, Laban, I'm ready for the consequence. I'm ready for the penalty. It's a pretty rich proposal. It's a pretty good argument that he's giving to Laban here in this text. I'll take the uncommon as much as, I, as much as there is, and if I'm found with what I shouldn't be found with, you call me out, and I'll pay the penalty as a thief. 34. Laban said, good. <laughs> good. Let it be as you've said. Now, he said good because of what verse 35 tells us. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons... And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. He's hedging his bets. Okay, yeah, good. Good is done. What you've said, let's go that direction. I, I'm, I'm all in. Great. All right, as soon as he's done, he picks up his cell phone and calls his son and says, hey, I got a job for you guys. And he has them go, and they call out everything that potentially could be benefiting Jacob. This guy's sly, the way in which he he does these things. And trying my best to read between the lines, it's unbeknownst to Jacob that Laban does this. Perhaps he was aware of it, but I don't see that anywhere in the text. It seems like a very point-blank deception on Laban's part in what he's doing to his nephew. Now, He's a first-class con artist as he does this. And yet, I want you to recognize this point in the passage. What these two men are living on. What they're guiding their lives by. Every last one of us are guiding our lives by something. We look somewhere. And honestly, for a good portion of the time, I imagine it's probably a little bit mixed. There's worldly wisdom, and there's biblical wisdom. Worldly wisdom tells you that that which works out best for you, and circumstantially what makes the most sense for you is the direction you should go. It just makes all the sense to me, and that makes no sense to me, so I'm just going to go this direction. 
Another direction is somebody who, who simply says, nope, what God says is what will be. And I'll walk in my integrity before God and before man, much as you saw Jacob said he would do. Let my integrity make itself clear to you. Let it be seen before you, Laban. And so much like his great-grandfather Abraham, when Abraham and Lot were selecting the land that they were going to go to, rather than the shepherds fighting, Abraham simply said, you select where you go, and I'll take what's left. What's at the root of that? What's at the root of that is a trust in God to provide what he'll provide. Not a trust in the shrewdness or the planning. From what I gather, beloved, in this text, what I see in Laban is a man who will use God for getting what he can, but really has no love for God, no affection for God, and is driven by his desire to gain in this life. Now, this is what's so sick. From his daughters to his goats, it's all for the purpose of negotiation for his betterment. Kent Hughes said, and I thought it was a great quote, he said, Laban knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. He knew the price of everything and the value of nothing. From what he did with his daughters to what he does here with his flocks for the purpose of gain, Laban stands as a dark example to us. Now, here's a question. Where did Jacob get this idea of the spotted and speckled? Where did he get that? I mean... On the spot. That's pretty impressive to me because when he meets with Laban, what he says to Laban is, I'm ready to go. I want to leave. I don't want to be here. Laban says, no, I want you to stay, and I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. If I found favor, don't leave. In that moment, Jacob says, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. And then he gives this elaborate plan of his desire. And you go, this guy is a pretty sharp businessman for him to come up with that. Well, I'm sorry, he's not that sharp. Look at chapter 31 with me. And look at verse 10. Actually, verse 9, to get a little bit of context. This is Jacob reiterating what we're reading right now. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father, speaking to his bride, and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now, arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Beloved, it's not too strong to say the plan for what he proposes to Laban is divine revelation from God for what he wants, for how he wants this to play out. Divine revelation, the angel of God came and appeared to him, this is what he should be doing, and then after that you should depart, leave, and go back to your people. So as he proposes this to Laban, what's he doing? He's walking in obedience to the revelation of God's word. You see, God's doing stuff in Jacob. He's working in him. He's, he's, he's changing him. He's growing him. And Laban, 
is going to thwart God's purposes, right? Not so much. Now, here's the weirdest part of the text. Look at verse 37. Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is, the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. Now I'm going to uh, invite Mitch Tingley to come up and explain just exactly what that means. <laughs> Give me a moment. <laughs> yeah. Beloved, I, I will just be utterly forthright with you and say it is so interesting when God forces me to a text that I'm not sure what to do with and I feel like, God, how, how do I take this before the body? I'm not sure what's happening here. And really what it's been stirring in my mind and my heart is, Dan, do you believe it's a word? Do you believe this is the inerrant, eternal, perfect word of God that is profitable for all of my people? Yes. Absolutely. So let's talk about some striped sticks for a second. What's going on here in the passage? Well, there's a few different options. Um, Commentators very much differ from one another, just what's happening here. So follow along with me. I'm going to be pretty close to my notes here because I have uh, never bred goats. All right. Jacob's strategy for breeding. Jacob does three things. He stripped the bark to give the look of stripes. He chose the times of breeding He put the sticks in the water. I'm sorry, I said three, four. And finally, he chose the strongest animals to breed at a particular time, hoping that this would pan out well for him as well. So what's with the sticks? Here's a few possible answers. The thought that a visual of multiple colors while breeding could enhance and manipulate the possibility of breeding striped, speckled offspring. Now, that may sound crazy, and perhaps it is. But this was something that they did at that time, and there's actually some folks who argue for this now, that you can actually, through the visual stimulation in those animals, produce and manipulate the results of the breeding. I don't believe that, but I don't know, and it's, I'm not too concerned about it, because what we see later in the text is the result of what happens is purely from God, not from stripes and sticks and whatnot. Much like, do you recall last week? Remember that phrase, that word, mandrake? Where the women were arguing over the mandrakes and said, if we can get that, then we can produce and we can have more children. And again, God showed, no, I'm the one who's sovereign over that. You don't manipulate the results. I'm the one that provides. So is Jacob in the right or in the wrong here? I don't see him in the wrong. I see him, and this is where I want to cut the man slack, is this is not a brand new man in reference to breeding animals. He's been doing this for a ton of years now. And to simply read this as, what a foolish act. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. I think, I think it's pretty weak 
to speak of Jacob like that with all of the time that he has spent working with these particular animals. So is he doing the best he can? Possibly. Where does my hat hang? My hat hangs in the fact that I think Jacob is following God's word, common sense, and perhaps there's some superstition present as well. I could be very much wrong about that. I'm doing the best I can with a tricky text, so bear with me. But perhaps the mixture also, as it was in the water, could also be, there could be some attestation to what's being done here. What's the purpose and the point in the mind of this man? The purpose and the point in the mind of Jacob is I am going to work hard and seek to have these produce. Even though Laban is totally against me, even though I have a stacked deck against me, God has revealed and promised that he will bless me in this endeavor. Now look down at your Bibles. Look at verse 41. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Now, if you would, look back at chapter 31, and I just want to show you where Jacob lands in reference to how he receives such a blessing. Chapter 31, verse 10, or verse 9. He says, Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And so as he reiterates what has taken place, Jacob is making it abundantly clear. The truth is, the reality is, my breeding strategy is not what manipulated the results. Rather, I was totally dependent on the Lord, and what he has done by his grace is he's taken these animals from your father, and he's given them to me by his gracious will. Now, it appears that Jacob was trusting the Lord and was also working hard. We must remember a key point that Jacob was in no way a newbie and that this was a business he was very familiar with. Now look at verse 43. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Jacob's flocks and herds increased immensely. Male and female servants, a substantial amount of money. So flocks, servants, money, children. This is incredible, the blessing that this man's reaping at this moment. By God's gracious will. Does Jacob deserve all of this? No, it all goes back to God's promises. In His grace, God freely chose to pour out His grace abundantly on Jacob. God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Let me read this, this quote. I found this helpful from Kent Hughes. Hughes says, If Jacob was operating on largely superstitious beliefs in reference to these sticks and what he's practicing here, he says, which is the likely view, we must keep in mind that the Bible is not teaching that animals are influenced by prenatal stimuli. It merely records that Jacob held that superstition along with general Mesopotamian culture. 
Jacob's peeled rods then are similar to Rachel's mandrakes. The mandrakes did not produce fertility and neither did Jacob's rods. The scriptures are explicit that God opened Rachel's womb. And they are also explicit that God intervened and gave the livestock to Jacob. Therefore, however it happened and however informed Jacob was, God did it. The end result is God's gracious will in this man's life. God did it. And so, beloved, what do you do with a passage like this? When you're doing your own personal Bible study or you're reading through the Bible in a year, and as you're reading that, doing your best to interpret and understand what's taking place here, what do you draw from that? How does that speak into your life? I'm sure there's a multitude of application that comes to your mind this morning of what you should be doing or even how this scripture speaks to you. I'm going to take two shots at it, all right? So two points of application that I want to draw to your attention this morning to ponder with me. Number one, don't miss the example of Laban. Remember that that interesting phrase when Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Well, I just simply want to say, remember Laban. Remember the desire in the man's heart to play, to trick all of the odds out to play for his behalf. Remember Laban who lied and cheated and stole and tricked for the purpose of his gain. Beloved, can I remind you of this? You can fool everybody, but the Lord is never fooled. You can be a a cheat, a liar, and feel like, finally, I got away with it. You haven't gotten away with anything. Because the truth is, people aren't your judge. And the truth is, the consequence of this life from other people pales, it pales in comparison to answering to the Lord. And so my prayer, my hope, my greatest desire for you is that you would not be living your life guided by earthly, worldly wisdom apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. You wouldn't be a Laban. You wouldn't be somebody that goes, well, it makes good sense to me. Who cares if it makes good sense to you? When I was a little kid, 14 Twinkies made good sense to me. Brilliant, human, good work. Just because it makes sense to you for the moment means very, very little if it's apart from the sacred scripture who the sovereign of the universe, who knows all things, has penned down. So if your good sense is canceled by the word, drop your good sense and cling to the truth of the word. Laban thought that he could really pat this down and make it simple for him so that way he could trick and come out on top. He did not. Why? Did you notice that the Lord, it's amazing to me, you guys, God speaking to Jacob in that dream specifically says, I've seen what Laban has done to you. You see how much our God is in the doings of our lives? To the point that Almighty God says, I've seen the wrong your uncle's been doing to you. Remember, every single grain of sand, the Lord is aware of its presence. And he looks down upon this entire universe with absolute perfect knowledge and then says, I've seen what your uncle has done to you. What kind of care and concern does that God have for each individual if he can speak like that? And so beware, beloved. 
Don't live your life in a Laban kind of way. And I mean that to you as unbelievers, but also if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're still canceling out the word by your wisdom. Beloved, don't be a Laban. It will not turn out well. He simply used God for his success. Remember, he told Jacob, you're the golden goose. Everything's working out well for me because God's blessing you, so you need to stay, so that way God will bless me. No love for God. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He had none of it. He just wanted to reap the benefits. There's a gospel warning there. Number two is the example of Jacob. Now, please catch all of these, if you would. Jacob is a man maturing in his walk with God. Jacob is a man with faith, mixed at times with doubt, and hope in his own effort. Jacob is a man who followed revelation regardless of circumstances. His proposal to Laban made no sense apart from the promise of God, as far as taking the speckled and the spotted. But that was revelation from the Lord. And regardless of apparent circumstances, it's not what God said. Beloved, you've heard this from this pulpit so many times, I know that, but it's so strong in my heart. No matter what the circumstances may appear to be, if it cancels the text, drop it. Hold tight to the text. I recognize we lose friends. I recognize we may lose different relationships. We may lose jobs. We may lose money. I could lose my car. I could lose this. I could lose that. The circumstances are overwhelming if I hold to the text. If you recognize the circumstances being overwhelming, don't you think the Lord does too? And none of us are perfect at this, so don't hear me talking down to anybody. I'm looking in the mirror looking at Dan where I have God's word, or I have what will be the smoothest path. And so Jacob meets with Laban, and instead of saying, I'm done, gone, he goes forward with what was revealed to him from the Lord. He's also a man who gave God the glory for his blessings. Please don't miss that, beloved. No, in no way does Jacob go, because I'm pretty darn good at breeding. This panned out well. He sees it's totally God's doing. The Lord's the one that provided. Last point, and one that I want you just to savor and think on. I think that we as Christians incrementally recognize our dependency. I think we incrementally recognize our dependency. I'm a fairly independent person in my, in, in my thinking and, and in ways that I live my life. Fairly, in some ways. In some ways, uh, very dependent. And the longer I'm a believer, the more I recognize I'm incredibly dependent for everything. It's like what you said, brother, in reference to the older you get, the more you recognize, I really don't know. But you also recognize, I really didn't know how much I was being carried that whole time. I didn't realize how utterly dependent I am upon him. And God, in his grace, incrementally says, I know you thought it was you, but let me just let you know, it wasn't. I provided for you. I made it for you. I'm the one that did that. Yeah, but I worked so hard. I know, but who's keeping your heart beating? Who's allowed the oxygen? What do you have you have not received? What's yours that you could tell God, I got this, I earned this? Nothing, nothing. 
And so, beloved, where I think that helps us is it shows us, so where do I stand on a day-to-day basis? You are a man or a woman who is completely dependent upon the grace of God. And if that's true, then what's our interaction with this lost world in the exact same state? Let's pray.